We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And once again, it appears Chelsea Football Club are learning the age-old lesson that the reaping is a hell of a lot less fun than the sowing. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, I mean, look, Twitter is bad at some things and excellent at other things. And when it comes to memes and reply guys and quote tweets, I mean, this is a day for all of it. And the absolute classic tweet, the tweet that, you know, I think perfectly sums up the situation is one that has, I think, become famous even outside of Twitter if you don't follow it. But it is just basically the me sowing, ha ha ha, fuck yeah, yes, me reaping, well, this fucking sucks, what the fuck. And I think that Chelsea <laughs> are absolutely in the midst of that. We will talk some Arsenal today, of course, with Tim. Uh, he will be on down the line. For patrons, there should be a rewatch tomorrow. Clive and I did a Patreon pod yesterday looking at the future of the squad and particularly left eight strikers, some names thrown out there and things like that. But, but, but don't bury the lead. And I said, you know, this is the perfect podcast for me because I'm all vibes, no research. Uh, as it, the famous line in Tombstone once said, I'm your Huckleberry. That's just my game. So here to do that with me right now is a man who has done some research, but also can bring the vibes. You may know him on Twitter at James Benj, but his actual name is James Benj. Hello, James Benj. Hello. Thanks for having me on this momentous, devastating, globally significant, epochal moment in in Mm. football history. As Gandalf the White once said in Lord of the Rings, he says, putting on his nerd hat, and I come to you now at the turning of the tide. And that is what you do, James. I should mention also a a football reporter for CBS. So, you know, a a very prestigious man and and a very interesting man uh, and one who I've had the great pleasure of sharing a pint with. So I think that will do it for the introduction. James, let's try to get the the actual info out first so we can get to the vibes and the laughter and the hilarity. And I do want to preface this by saying, look, there is a small undercurrent to this discussion where it can cross the line into something unpleasant in the sense that the reason any of this is happening and the reason any of this is going on is a war of aggression, a revanchist war in Ukraine that obviously is leading 
to pain globally, specifically in Ukraine, worst of all, to loss of life, to destruction of historic property, to uh, creating a terrible refugee situation, to families being torn apart. I mean, there's there's a horror underpinning all of this that is leading to this. And so I want to say, because I think as listeners, hopefully you've trusted our judgment over the years, I do want to have a little fun with what's happening to Chelsea. It, life is too short not to be able to experience some joy with everything we've been through, while also hoping that you trust that we understand the se- severity and uh, significance of the situation, the terror of the situation. Actually, our podcast will be doing something major to try to help uh, the people who are being impacted by this in a very powerful um, way and philanthropic way. So that is coming down the line. I want to be clear about that. But with that having been said, I, I, James, I just think it's important to point that out because, of course, we're going to have some fun with this, and we are going to also revel in what I think is uh, the comeuppance at Chelsea. But it is important to recognize why all this is happening, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it it's a very, I have to say, it's a very strange experience covering this when you find yourself sort of, sort of briefly referencing back to what is the most, you know, terrifying and a dispiriting and I mean, just shocking experience that, that people are going through out in Ukraine. And, you know, it's very strange to just sort of, that it's almost a sort of tossed away line in the pieces you write, you know, the war in Russia, um, or sorry, the war in Ukraine, the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine It is, but you know, it is, it, it's hard. You do have to kind of, in a way, separate those two mentally. And when you're writing about these things, because, you know, I think if if nothing else, just for your own mental health as well, because we're we're in the privileged position where we can, on occasion, take a take a step back from it, and we do have to acknowledge our privilege. We can't hide from it. Um, and you know, as as you say, Elliot, you are allowed to enjoy as an Arsenal supporter. You're allowed to enjoy the tough times of your rival, kind of pretty much whatever the whatever the reasons for it, mm. and you know everything we kind of say and we'll, we'll go into the details. It is all underpinned by Roman Abramovich's close relationships with Vladimir Putin stretching back decades. Um, and that, that he has not done anything to redress those to denounce the war, uh, to do anything like that. So, you know, that's not something Chelsea supporters can control. And although fans of Arsenal and anyone will enjoy some of the Schadenfreude, it's also true that, you know, you would hate to be in, in the position they are in, but, you know, it, I, I mean, it's, it's a hard one to explain, really. Well, but. James, look, I, I think also there are people that are like, enough with the throat clearing, and normally I'm not a big fan of throat clearing. I just think, like, it is important to make sure that people appreciate that there is a very, very serious um, topic that underpins all this. And also, then there's the whataboutism of, well, what about, you know, the Saudi Arabia war in Yemen and the fact that they've just taken over Newcastle? You know, what about the fact that American billionaires certainly don't have clean hands in their own ways? And like, I get that all of those are talking points. From here on in, we are going to talk about the Chelsea aspect of it. And even if you take out the Putin association, just the the financial doping that Chelsea engaged in that started the slippery slope down this path to where we are with hilariously PSG losing to Real Madrid last night, by the way, that's, we could do a whole podcast on that and their owner getting into a fight and Donnarumma and Neymar getting into a fight and what's going on with City and what's going on with Newcastle. And it all sort of kind of started in some way, at least in my view, with what Roman Abramovich did at Chelsea. And so with that out of the way, James, there's a lot of hilarity here down to the details of like how Chelsea are actually going to travel to games, how they are, are they going to have to go down to sports direct and buy some blank shirts? We'll get onto that. But first and foremost, in terms of Chelsea's going concern here, in terms of being able to just operate, 
What do these sanctions effectively do in terms of Chelsea's ability to operate the football club for the balance of the season? Well, I mean, operate is the active word, really. They can just about get by. That That's my understanding. You know, broadcast revenue, any money that comes in from, from transfer fees, they can still collect, you know, any outstanding debts on players they've sold. All of that has to go into what is functionally the day-to-day running of the club at a relatively sort of skeletal level. So we've seen, you know, the quite notable site for me was the, the Chelsea mega store where they, you know, make a little bit of money extra on top of what Nike pay them for those shirts that's shut down. That that's no, there's no need for that to be a going concern. Similarly, you know, the hotel business that's taking no new bookings, all these little things on top, all the little, you know, nice little earners that a club might, like Chelsea might have that Arsenal have and that every premier league club have, they've sort of been taken away from them. And, you know, the government's, uh, it's effectively instructed Chelsea to uh, run a skeleton crew here. So that's why we see £20,000 uh, to to get to an away game. That's pretty much less than any Premier League club would spend. Mm. Equally, you know, you can very comfortably, or as most people would understand it, you can comfortably get to a game. It's just you might have to get the bus. You might not be staying in a in a five-star hotel. But, you know, that's that's not money that, that Chelsea would be seen as needing. You know, this is about making sure they have what is required to put on a, a and fulfill their outstanding obligations as a, as a football club. And it's fair to say as well, you know, there are other uh, entities involving Roman Abramovich and other Russian oligarchs that have not been given this treatment. You know, they have not been told we will set you up so that you can just about cope so that you can just about pay wages. But however long this lasts and we don't know the government has said look you know we are open to re re reopening this uh, particular agreement to allow a sale to be conducted but however long this takes it it will be hard for chelsea to do what they need to do you know on pitch as pilaqueta christensen antonio rudiger all out of contract at the end of the season no new extensions can be agreed for them as it stands, that runs through till May the 31st. So they'd have a month to rush that all together. But, you know, if you're Christensen and Barcelona have been making eyes at you, Rudiger, a lot of teams want him and why wouldn't they? You will, you would not be, you know, you would be far less likely to stay at, at Chelsea in these scenarios, wouldn't you? It's, you know, this is, I think, you know, player, player agents that I speak to are also saying like, you know, we don't know that we want to be here right now. I don't want to be the, we don't want to be the ones picking up the pieces. Well, they've got image rights considerations too, right? I mean, if sponsors are pulling out of Chelsea, will sponsors want Chelsea players? I mean, that's a consideration. Well, I mean, you see this right now. Um, You know, we were talking about this on the podcast, talking to people around some of those Chelsea sponsors and and talking to people at close to three. You know, we got this, the the mobile phones company, it'll be quite Mm -hmm. weird. Just get close to three. It sounds like time or whatever. Um, My uh, youngest daughter's getting close to that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the news came out around 5 p.m. UK time that uh, that three were suspending their their sponsorship deal, which is about 50 million, 40 million pounds a year, 50 million dollars. Um, and, you know, you, you talk to people and you say, oh, right, okay, and when's this going to take effect? Because you've got a game in, in two and a half hours, so surely it's not going to happen by then. And um, they sort of said, if we can make it happen by then, we'll make it happen by then, because three... Hyundai, who are assessing their relationship as well, Zap, they all look at this and they kind of think, right now, our brand is going to be beamed out around the world and everyone will be talking about the war in Russia, sorry, the war in Ukraine. Everyone will be talking about how Roman Abramovich has failed to distance himself from that. 
and that will, you know, everyone will see a big three logo there. I mean, you could not blame any com- company for immediately saying, you know, get us away from this. I'm certain all these sponsorship cl- uh, agreements will have force majeure clauses that, and this is a, a force majeure, and, and they will look to be uh, to be getting out of it. This suspension, I think, is mm. is only the initial step, and and you'll see it coming coming from more clubs that will seriously affect the way Chelsea can do business, not just now, but when they come out of this. I mean, so it's fair to say sponsorship money, broadcast money, Chelsea were going to get what they needed to keep the show on the road, to pay for official uh, officials, to pay for staff, to get the ground ready for whichever uh, fans had had a ticket beforehand. But the rest was all going to be stored away in in, in trust and, and frozen away and, and not able to access it. If sponsors start leaving you and they start saying, we don't want to pay, you know, that's that's money that you don't have to spend under the next owner who... I think we can all assume whenever and whoever it is, he probably won't be an Abramovich level by the title, by the best players, by the best coaches, owner. There just aren't that many of them out there. Yeah, I mean, it's really the sports washing entities and this isn't the model for them. So you're down to business people, um, you know, who want to run the club like a business. We've covered that a little bit of previous pods. So we don't have to go over it again necessarily. By the way, the joke, obviously, when you said getting close to three is that I should have said with what's happening at Chelsea, maybe Arsenal are getting close to three as in <laughs> third place. But I didn't go there. I went with the daughter joke. It landed. It's fine. Um, I'm going to ask you to recklessly speculate on something that obviously you have no ability to speculate on, but why not? Let's do it. I mean, the question that I sort of have is, what is the durability of these sanctions in terms of Roman waiting them out? Um, you know, what Putin is doing in Ukraine is horrible, what his resol- resolve will be in terms of continuing to prosecute the war. Like I have, I have no ability to guess that nor do you. Is there a possibility of Roman? Because look, they're saying, all right, maybe we would give you a license to sell if you take no proceeds whatsoever. And at that point, and with all these sanctions in place and the sale not benefiting, benefiting him anyway, is there a scenario where he sort of just tries to wait them out? Or is it possible that sanctions could rise to the level of literally divesting him of the holdings in Chelsea and forcing a sale? Do you have any, and again, I, I recognize it's reckless speculation, mm. but what's your instinct on that? See, I don't think that's the direction that Roman will be heading. I find it really hard to tell. And look, this is just as recklessly speculating as putting out any other scenario there. We just don't know. But I think you've seen, you saw little flashes, didn't you, of the idea that Abramovich in particular might feel uncomfortable with the with the direction that Putin is is heading and might want to be viewed as the Russian oligarch that is trying the kinder to... gentler oligarch yeah and you know <laughs> I mean it's obviously <laughs> on a personal level that is what he has tried to portray isn't it you know the the football owning art buying you know he wasn't a you know he's tried to come across as very urbane and sophisticated you know he didn't look like a Russian mobster um, mm. Not that I'm saying he is, just to be very clear. The, the people's kleptocrat, I get it. Yes, well, mm-hmm. indeed. And I mean, you know, as you're saying that, it sounds ridiculous, but to an extent, a lot of people bought that. We only need to go back to 2003 and the the fawning over his money, his private jets, his lifestyle, all that, you know, it did work. And look at his spokespeople saying pretty much without any anything backing it up, that he was working to make peace between these two, that he was involved in peace talks, which, you know, I've not seen any evidence of, the, of, of that activity in, in peace talks. Look, I mean, I thought it was really noticeable when he made the 
announcement he was selling that he did refer to it as the war in Ukraine. Now, no one else at Chelsea even uses the words Ukraine uh, in their official statements. If you go and look at mm. Chelsea's statement today, no reference to it. <clears throat> now, you know, this is, uh, you know, the likes of Chris Bryant, um, the chair of the All-Party Commission on Russia, they're making crystal clear this is nowhere near enough, and that's absolutely the case. But you sort of think what's, and I don't think this will kind of end with him riding back into Chelsea. I just think there's now, it's too much water under the bridge. But I think Abramovich, and there will be others like him, they don't want to lose what the last 20 years have have offered them in terms of a Western lifestyle of jet setting from New York to London, and, you know, buying the finest art, drink, drinking the finest wine, eating at the finest restaurants. They will work to to get that back. You know, there's there's a huge amount that needs to be done for Abramovich to get out of being sanctioned. But I think, you know, if I'm speculating here with no evidence, I don't know Roman, uh, I don't think I ever will, I feel like a more likely approach might be for Roman to to try and be the the West's friend. Is that the right way to put it? And to, mm. and to turn, and, you know, he's, he's been offered off-ramps by the likes of the UK government, by Bryant, you know, he was the one that he knew that he was the one they wanted, um, the most high-profile oligarch. And I think equally he knows that if he were to full-bloodedly come out against Vladimir Putin, it may not do him much good in Russia, but it might do him some good in the West and might ease those sanctions. I I have to keep saying, I'm just speculating here. No, my my only pushback there is like, when you make a deal with the devil, the devil gets his due. He gets paid. And I think when you are a kleptocrat, who got all your money stealing the resources of a nation with the blessing of, I mean, when Putin took power after Yeltsin and all that, I don't want to go into history lesson because I don't know history at all. And so I'd be a bad teacher, but basically, you know, we offered all these oligarchs, the nation's wealth in exchange for their support for him. And, you know, they sent him around, sent these oligarchs around the world, living lavish lifestyles. I, I mean, it actually goes back to Yeltsin that. Um, yeah, 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 it does. Yeah, tanking mm-hmm. the Russian economy. Well, and, and to be fair, I mean, the Yeltsin thing happened with support from the U.S. government. Anyway, yeah. let's not go there because I, I mean, I get it. And, it, you know, you could, history goes back a long, long way, it turns out. But my point was this. I think once you sign that contract, you sign it in, in blood, so to speak, mm. and that you're going to be drinking polonium tea at the point that you go openly against Putin. I don't think that there is a path to a lifestyle that Roman could accept in a scenario where he is openly counter to the will of Putin. And look, I could be getting that wrong. We are definitely into reckless speculation, but to to sort of row it back to football then, if that is the case, that he's not going to try to ride it out and a sale has to be made. I mean, the guy said he wanted $3 billion. That is not a credible number to put out there under the circumstances. Now it is clear that this is going to be more of a fire sale with a lot of work to be done. The idea for a new stadium, I mean, th- that's billions of pounds that has to be spent if it's going to be spent at all. And I guess my question for you is like, is this a scenario now where even the sort of wealthy billionaire class who might look at their revenue and ordinarily be interested might just take a pass on this one because of the uncertainty around the debt, the $1.5 billion in debt, the need to build a stadium, and what the damage and fallout may be from this. I mean, do, do you think that the the list of potentially interested buyers now is, is shrinking? Yes and no. Certainly, the events of the last few hours have have, have, have led some people to reassess. Because also, don't forget, you know, you, it's... I mean, they don't really kind of yet know who who are they dealing with. And as you say, the debt is the other part of this. You don't want to be seen as someone that is 
um, paying off anyone's debt. Right now, that that can't happen. You know, Abramovich mm. can't get a penny from it. Um, but equally, I think a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people around this are looking at it and saying, this could be our chance to get a pretty good deal on Chelsea. Now, you are absolutely right. the The stadium renovation is, you know, it blows Tottenham out of the water, let alone the Emirates. You know, this M- is most a, things do. To be fair, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it's not it doesn't take much to blow Tottenham no, out of the no, water. But no, I mean, in terms of everywhere the, they go, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> in terms of the scale of the project, I mean, Elliot, you're lucky enough to not have had to go to Stamford Bridge. You only uh, mm. attend a higher class of of London football stadiums. Um, it is a it's a stadium that needs work. We all know that, but it's also a stadium that's incredibly penned in. You know, you have the the you have the Fulham Road on one side and you have uh, the London Underground right next to you. You know, Abramovich's £2 billion plan was basically to dig down. Um, there are very few sites, certainly none in in a, a prime location like Chelsea have now, that anyone could afford and could build a football stadium on. They've all been bought up for housing and the like. That side of it's tough. Equally, you could get Chelsea now and flip it down the line and if you can kind of just keep it motoring along as a Champions League club if you can keep revenue up and you can therefore allow the wage bill to be you know proportionate to what it is now I think you might look at that there will be people that will look at this and go I'm not getting a, a club cheaper I mean equally the other thing to bear in mind is this government in particular, there's a lot of high-minded rhetoric that is not reflected in reality. But when you have the sports minister, Tracy Crouch, pushing for golden shares for supporters and for real tangible change in boardrooms in light of the Super League, I would expect that, you know, if the government is involved in the negotiations of the sale, this stuff will have to come up. There will be real pressure on it to ensure that the new Chelsea ownership structure has fans at its heart. It's the funny thing is that, that will only push away your sort yeah. of traditional American style, you know, franchise model owners. They won't want any part of that, you know. Once you have the feeling that the government can have some control over how much you can own and the control you can have in it, I think you lose a chunk of of the the demographic of people that would be willing to buy. And don't forget, you've also got. I mean, the, the fans at Chelsea already have significantly more power than they have at, say, yeah, they own Arsenal. the ground, don't they? Yeah, they own the ground, and and in the ground they also own the uh, the rights to the the name. So, if if a new owner was to come in and and say, I want to move Chelsea to to White City, or I want to move them right out to you know Richmond, let's say, picking somewhere at random, um, you know, if the Chelsea pitch owners are not happy with that, then Chelsea can go, but they can't take the name with them. So mm. there are specific issues that I think make Chelsea, you know, in general make Chelsea a little bit of a less attractive proposition than than Arsenal than Manchester United or Liverpool it's a it's a it's a tough ask but equally you can just say shit club no history like that sums <laughs> it up really nicely i don't know what you're going on about it <laughs> but equally uh, because it's a shit club with no history there it is. uh, it's a bit cheaper now isn't it and it's still mm. a nice west london landing pad so yeah yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll obviously be interesting to see how that plays out. And like, I may be ultimately naive. Look, I'm just hoping that Mike Ashley is still in the frame for this. So let's let's just keep <laughs> that in mind. I also saw rumors of Woody Johnson, the owner of the NFL Jets, and I can tell you that would be a dream for Arsenal fans. You can look it up and, and find out why. But I do want to get into some of the funnier stuff that's happening that affects them directly immediately. And, and by the way, I mean, you know, Chelsea's social media, just obviously a dumpster fire putting out statement after statement. I'm just looking forward to the next statement, like tomorrow coming out and underneath it, you know, where it says like Twitter for 
media publishers or Twitter for, I just want to say like Twitter for iPhone SE pay as you go plan or something. <laughs> they're, gonna, they're not even going to have like a, you know, an official place to send their, their post out. But let's, let's talk a few things. Firstly, the, um, the wages issue in terms of player wages, like obviously there's, there's cash in the bank for that, for the short term. Do you have any sense of like the money's going to run out if he can't put money in, and they can't sell any more tickets. And if they're sponsors, I mean, I don't know, you know, how sponsorship payments are made. If there's anything owing, they may withhold those for a variety of reasons that may relate to breach of contract in some way or another. But is there a potential issue for for paying the the players' wages? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if Chelsea could run out of money for paying player wages. I mean, the broadcasting revenue is pretty comfortable. But as I mean, Chelsea's wage budget is vast. And one of the interesting things that, that lies underneath this is, you know, the, the, the logical thing in, in this scenario, whether you can register new players or not, is you look in the summer to sell off some of your, your top earners. Well, the challenge Chelsea have is the players they pay the most money to are pretty much uniformly the players that no one would want, that actually Thomas Tuchel doesn't rate particularly highly. Um, and that, you know, they would find difficult to sell even in a normal, non-COVID, non-sanctions market. You know, the top earners at Chelsea, Romelu Lukaku, um, 28, 29 now, clearly struggling in the Premier League. Timo Werner earns a huge amount of money, and it, I think it's been pretty conclusively proven he, he's not really a Premier League forward. Uh, Kepa, you know... Just had some good moments, but uh, if you're an Arsenal know, fan, surely, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is, um, you know, they are the they're the and Sa- Saul as well, who, who's on loan. Callum Hudson Adoy is another one I think is you'd be so um, he is on six figures to to be a sort of wing back backup, um, and, and they then can't actually take in any transfer fees, right? Like that, that's something that they're barred from as part of well, the so, so the money can come in and it can be used to pay wages. But the rest they can't use. So they can. So if if if, if say uh, let's say Arsenal signed Reese James, Tommy Asu mm-hmm. does need a backup after all. Um, <laughs> you know, Chelsea would. I know, I'm not an accountant, so I can't work out exactly how this would work. But Chelsea would basically get the money from that to keep going as a going concern. But you know the. 35 40 million however much they get for Reese James I'm sure it would be a lot more he's a very good player you know that that would all then be frozen away it wouldn't be blocked from Chelsea forever but you know it would be you're not getting this until the new owner that that's my understanding of the situation it wouldn't shock me if I'm wrong but that's how I how I see it so paying wages will be fine but I think there will be pressure to to sell and um the hard thing is going to be you're not going to trim back the wage budget at all by selling the players that that people really want, you know, Mendy, Mendy as well is like the lowest paid player at Chelsea and, and is another that could uh, happily warm the bench at Arsenal. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I'm really excited to see is what happens with the travel stuff. I mean, I, I think if you're really into schadenfreude and, and the reaping and sowing and all that, the idea of them flying Ryanair to a champions league tie, you know, so, like that's, that's extremely my jam. Um, but that does seem to be in play, maybe not the Ryanair thing, but like the, the way they're going to have to travel to, I mean, domestically, it may not be as difficult if they go past, they're playing Lille, right? Lille, yeah. They, they haven't, yeah they and have they should one. go through. Yeah, so then, I mean, they could have to get somewhere on a pretty tight budget, right? I, I, I mean, I really, 
someone else has made this joke, so apologies to whoever I'm stealing it from, but it would make for a great bit of an Amazon all or nothing documentary if uh, the players were simply told, here's £20,000, you need to get yourselves and all the staff to uh, to Madrid and find a hotel room on the night of the game and everything with your £20,000. It would be, I mean, phenomenal content, if nothing else. And maybe the Chelsea media team will just go for it. I think they need to lean into this. But, you know, Hugo Schechter, who used to work in, in player care at, at Southampton and, and West Ham and, and now does it on a freelance basis, he tweeted out this, and I keep referring back to it. He says, the standard Premier League away game with flight, security, food, hotels... That's about 30,000, so mm. 50% more than they have to spend. Um, you know, away games in London, obviously it's pretty easy to save the money there. And I don't mean by going on the tube, but I, I remember the, a good example of this, and although it didn't quite work out as we thought, there was real stress and frustration at Tottenham before their game against Man City when they uh, found out because of Storm Eunice, I think it was, that they were going to have to f- get the bus. Um, because you know it turns a a half hour flight or a 45 minute flight into a five hour drive and it it, you know that they felt that would have sporting ramifications and you know kind of of course it does because that's time when players could be freshening up their muscles you know you don't want professional athletes sat, sat in a cramped coach for for that amount of time you know this will be difficult it will be annoying it will you know if you're not staying in the the best hotels the players will not feel quite as comfortable like it, it it might be you know you know it's a marginal gain sort of thing isn't it where a marginal losses like mm. just not feeling that comfortable when you turn up to uh, your big away game at, at old trafford or at anfield or wherever it is it, it i can't see how it wouldn't have a, a slight sporting impact on chelsea yeah i mean look you could get the sort of solidarity thing happening right where the where Tuchel tries to create a us-against-the-world mentality and we just, you know, nobody believes in us and they're writing off Chelsea and we're going to prove them wrong. But so like, he, he, can I just say, he was asked yeah. about that. Um, mm-hmm. This was right at the start, just when, you know, the, the conflict was breaking out and we were starting to talk about Chelsea in that context. And I think, and you know, he has been excellent on, you know, giving the coaches and the, the players' point of view on this. And I think one of the reasons he gets so frustrated about asking answering the question all the time is he answers it so well, so people want to hear from him. But he did kind of acknowledge that it's really difficult to create an us-against-the-world attitude and feeling within the dressing room when these players know why it is that they are being singled out. It's the no. classic, are we the baddies? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's tough in those circumstances to, to feel like you're the wronged party. Now, I know there are plenty of very vocal fans on, on Chelsea who, on, on Twitter, very, very vocal Chelsea fans who are proving that anyone can feel like the wronged party or the, mm. the victim in, in any scenario. But, you know, the players are not <laughs> the trolls you see on Twitter. A lot of them are smart enough to know that, like they're not getting any sympathy for this. I don't, you know, then they're not, no, no club is going to go, oh, oh, poor you. Your own has been sanctioned for his involvement in Putin and now you can't stay in a five-star hotel. Yeah, and I mean, look, you start to think about agents and everyone needs to spare thought for agents, obviously, but like, (laughs) they're going to be making every call they can to get their player out of Chelsea under the circumstances. I'm sure that they're, the, the potential moves to Chelsea that I'm sure are being discussed with agents behind the scenes prior to this 
are certainly off. I mean, no one's going to move their player to Chelsea under these circumstances when there's this much ambiguity about what could happen. Um, so I, you know, I think that part is interesting. One other thing, so they are they are allowed their season ticket holders can go. They can't sell any further tickets, meaning no away fans. Uh, I guess beyond the Newcastle game, is that right? And there are some sold for Brentford. However, mm-hmm. I think what I've heard, you know, the the the, the UK government <laughs> were probably not kind of a, a, a position where they could, uh, you know, and the people doing sanctions at Her Majesty's Treasury were probably not thinking too deeply about that. But I think when it's raised to them, they, mm-hmm. from what I've heard, that will kind of move quickly. I know I don't think Chelsea will be allowed to sell extra tickets, mm. but I, I do think that, take Wolves, for example, they hadn't had the conversation with Chelsea about their away allocation for the game because you just don't. Is That game's nearly two months out, but there's not, not many between now and then. Um, like, you know, I, I, I suspect it's all a bit fiddly, but, you know, being as there's there's talk of, of reopening this uh the license that, that Chelsea have. I think within that, some stipulation may be allowed for away supporters to get tickets, but that money won't go to Chelsea. It'll go to... Yeah, because I was going to ask, would that mean no Arsenal fans at the Chelsea game, for example? Like, that seems like an unfair benefit to Chelsea. Well, exactly. <laughs> I, I think by the time that game comes around, there will be... I think there will be something in place. You know, we're, we're in uncharted waters here, though, so yeah. I reserve the right to be wrong. There may uh, be some interesting chance at Chelsea games from the away supporters. I mean, they won't have. It's highly unlikely they'll have any supporters for that Champions League quarterfinal as well. That's um, yeah, because it's not sold, right? Yeah. So they can't. Yeah, behind closed yeah. doors. That one. yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately, we're a little too familiar with what that's like. But yeah, yeah so be it. I mean, look, I, I said this at the top. I, I think there's probably, if you really want to dig into it, some people being hurt by this who don't deserve it. Um, good Chelsea fans. I'm not familiar with any, but I'm sure they exist. I kid that, you know, there are some people I know. Um, but also like, and I know this, you know, being around Arsenal, there are wonderful, wonderful people that work at Arsenal that do things unrelated to the football. Like there are people just trying to make a living who are going to be hurt by this. And ultimately that pain will be inflicted upon them, not because of something the government's doing, but because of what Roman has done. But, you know, I guess that, that that's a consideration we should probably acknowledge, right? I mean, yes, to an extent. Mm. I, I, you know, and of course, you, you you talk to people who work at Chelsea, and it's it's very stressful. And you know, the trade off is for for people that work, say, in the commercial department or in the communications department, or kind of in the you know the more back office functions. The challenge is, it's you know, on a professional level, it's a prestigious club, one of the biggest in in Europe. It's a place you want to work, and um, mm. you know, I I, it, it, I I can't quite bring myself to sort of criticize those people for working in the first place. But I suppose you have to understand oh, that. No, like, I'm not criticizing them. I, I'm no, feeling no, no. sorry for the people lower down the totem pole, right? Who oh, like, and, are literally yeah, much the just same. trying to get a living. And now they have their pro Because ultimately they're going to be the ones who we, we saw this, unfortunately with KSC and, and Arsenal at times that some of the first redundancies and layoffs start at the bottom, you know? Yes. And, and, and of course you do sympathize hugely I suppose this is just the function of of sanctions is that they cannot be, and to an extent, they almost have to. They they can't be precise, and to an extent, they're a blunt they instrument. Yes, they have to be a blunt instrument, mm-hmm. don't they? Because y- you can't, you, you need you know for for Vladimir Putin to to feel the pain, you need kind of others to 
to be telling that him and and screaming and shouting that how this is affecting them, how this is affecting the Russian economy, um, you know, in a broader sense, and you know, much the same way that you know, you feel great sympathy for people in Russia that are against this horrible war, um, but are you know struggling to make ends meet, struggling to buy the supplies they need because of sanctions and boycotts. But this is, you know, this is just. Um, I think we all, you know, we're all paying a price in in some way, whether it be also, you know, things such as the rising energy prices, which we're rising anyway, but will continue to rise in light of this Mm -hmm. rising food prices. And yes, you know, but it all pales into such insignificance compared to why we're having to do these things. And I don't, you know. Yeah, tanks rolling through cities, you know, and and something that we see too often around the world and probably don't uh, focus on as much as we should. But, you know, I will tell you, I, I have a close friend and business partner who's, uh, has adopted a daughter many, many years ago who's Ukrainian and her sister and husband and small children are in Kharkiv and he's in Eastern Poland trying to get them out. And obviously the husband can't leave, but he's trying to get the wife and, and, and children out. And like, it's heartbreaking. And so, you know, I mean, there are going to be a lot of people today because of what's happening in Chelsea who are more focused on what's happening in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And to your point about, you know, sanctions being a blunt instrument. There are lots of can- cascading repercussions and implications to measures like this that are designed to put pressure on the aggressor and, and hopefully stop the aggression. But yes, there's there's going to be externalities to it. And you know it's impossible for it to always be just hilarious and fun. And <laughs> let's let's have the time of our life about it. Uh, that's just not how this works. As a, as a final thought about it though, I mean, do you think that... So, so look... We know that there's the travel money issue. There's going to be the ticket sales issue. They may be playing Champions League in front of an empty stadium. They may be taking less pleasant accommodations. They are almost certainly going to lose any of their players that would be out of contract this summer. I would imagine there are going to be players that ask for a move, and I don't know what would happen with the proceeds from that move. They're certainly not going to be able to command the fees they would have because they don't have the bargaining position to do that. They're going to be almost no chance for them to sign anyone this summer. I mean, I I cannot envision a scenario unless literally the war ends like tomorrow and all the sanctions go away where they can sign a player. I I don't know how you would send your player there under these circumstances. There's just no chance you could do it. Um, You know, unless you're talking about a tier way below what they're used to signing. I also wonder, I I imagine they have installment payments on transfers that they own, that they owe, I should say. And those will come due. And what happens if you default on payments to a club where you already bought their player. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure that there's a pretty straightforward answer to that you just default and they, they sue you into administration or whatever the case is. But that brings up the question of like administration. And if this sale doesn't go through quickly, James, I cannot see a scenario if a sale isn't done quickly where Chelsea's revenue is enough to support them with the repercussions of their, against their commercial deals, their outstanding transfer payments, their wages, I mean, I realize that they book a profit to some extent, you know, on paper, but I, I don't see an alternative but administration if they can't get a sale through. No, you're probably right. And I think that's why, although, you know, the, the British government wouldn't worry quite so much about just administration, you know, it's it's further down the line towards liquidation that, that they are seriously having to consider. And that's why they they came out pretty quickly this morning after saying, look, the license agreement does not have anything anything in there, any provisions for for a sale. But that was about at 9am, I spoke to someone at the Treasury that was telling me that. And then by lunchtime, they were saying, however, we, will, we are willing to open up the license agreement 
if a you know if a new purchaser can be found and you know obviously all the things about Abramovich not getting any money that we discussed earlier because as you say the longer this drags the more the other little things the other the other mini crises that any football club might face rear their head and and Chelsea are in a scenario where they're severely handicapped that they really struggle they'll really struggle to make ends meet and they'll they'll just have to keep going i think you know even bigger picture beyond that th- this will at some stage be addressed i'm certain with new owners for chelsea i don't think we'll ever see roman abramovich at stamford bridge again and then maybe at that that stage we see a club that you know, throughout the, for the next few years, I, I would expect you will see Chelsea slow, relatively slowly, but you know, consistently selling off players, maybe some that they don't want to sell, rebalancing the wage budget so that it's one that reflects a, a club with a stadium of, of forty thousand. You know, still a a relatively bigger Premier League player. You know, maybe at the sort of level that an Everton have been. Um, well, they not, may not be a Premier League player for much longer, but that's Everton much have been. I did say yeah, Everton. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but that you know, they they won't. They will not kind of be able to to live the way they've lived before, simply because you know the UK government are not. And then they will have a say in this sale, and they will not allow. I don't think they will not allow a uh, another sports washer to take hold of a of a Premier League club like they did a few months ago. But the, you know that. So even this government will learn its lessons from that, I I would expect. And Chelsea kind of need to now get their heads around, well, what do we look when we when we come out from when we come out from this license, when we come out with new ownership that don't want to you know, that don't want to plow 1.5 billion in, in interest-free loans into this club. Um and you know, the the loans are going to hover incredibly uncomfortably in the background i don't know i'm i do not understand finance well enough to be able to tell you how chelsea might extricate themselves from this beyond abramovich just feeling compelled to write off all that money perhaps he thinks well i'm never getting it back anyway so there's no point i i don't know many billionaires that make their money by uh writing off billions of, of dollars so I don't know how all this ends and I don't think any of us do right now and it would be disingenuous to come on here and try and give you a scenario that I think we end up, that I'm certain we'll end up in. But I think it's obvious. The one thing that is obvious is Chelsea need to reassess where they are, what they can afford to be in the future. And probably they'll come to the conclusion that they can afford to be a, a strong Premier League team, but but not the sort that has you know, hundreds of millions of pounds of football are sat on the bench, you know, spending 300 million pounds plus in, in salaries. I think that that era of Chelsea ended today. Yeah, and, and look, James, like if, a, if an interested sort of sports business type owner wanted to come in and buy Chelsea, let's say 10 months ago, they would have been buying something that they could run like a business at still a relatively high level and, you know, be a regular contender for top four and maybe occasionally be in the title conversation. But under the circumstances now, I think it's a lot less clear what you're going to be getting in terms of the players that'll be there in terms of the money that's available in terms of what you can do with the stadium. So yeah, I, I think they have a murky future ahead. And I want to say that I, for one think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. And like, look, 
Chelsea fans got a lot of joy over the years, and they got it because of Roman Abramovich, and so that joy is tied up in everything Roman Abramovich did to earn his money, and so I really, really struggle to feel sorry for them because, like, if you banked that joy, you banked it on, you know, the kleptocratic gains of the owner. And, like, I get the whataboutism. I get that there's always, you know, when you point a finger one way, there's four pointing back at you, and we can go through all the spiraling uh, repercussions and ramifications of all ownership everywhere. But thankfully, we are not going to do that. So, um, I, you know, you cover the Champions League for a living. I was going to get into the PSG of this, but I think I'll save that since uh, we've been going on long enough and Tim's coming on, and I'm sure he'll want to laugh at, at them. Not a great week in sports washing. This isn't going to go into the sports I'm, washers I'm almanac, devastated. I'm guessing. I'm yeah. utterly gutted for the yeah. the reputation launderers of the world. It's been a real tough week for them, I'm, you know. But I mean, Newcastle might pick up three points at the weekend, so that would help them. Yeah, there's where you know uh, the king is dead. Long live the king. Well, look, Pochettino has truly brought the history of the Spurs to PSG. Am I here for it, James? I've kept you way too long uh, with almost no notice to come on. I can't thank you enough. It is always a pleasure to talk to you, and I hope I'll be seeing you in London this May because I will be. Uh, we'll be there. Oh yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I'll see you then. Sounds good. James on Twitter at James Benj, as you already know, but you should be following at James Benj. Should be easy to remember because his name is James Benj. In any event, that's James Benj. Tim's going to be coming up next. Thanks, James. Thank you. Okay, Tim's coming on, but, but how can Tim come on if I don't tell you that while we are seeing unprecedented events globally and we are seeing a hated rival shorn of their dignity, it is a perfect time to think about other things that we should be shorn of, like hair on our privates. Gosh, the segue is terrible, but the product is so good. The product is so good. It is the Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped, and it is the best purpose-built tool I have ever used for grooming. I think about sometimes like what I did before I got this, and I don't know that you want the gory details, but suffice it to say, you get in that shower and you make a deal with yourself that you can go one more time with that razor, and like you can't go one more time with that razor. Spring is coming. Things are growing. Arsenal's top four chances are growing. It is time for you to be in your peak condition to celebrate. What if you go out and celebrate Arsenal finishing top four, St. Totteringham's Day coming back, and somehow we start dropping trow, we start getting, you know, a little bit too excited, and, and then you've forgotten to lawn mow. Well, you don't have to. Go to manscaped.com, use promo code ARSENALVISION, and get 20% off and free global shipping on the Lawnmower 4.0 and all their other great products. They have phenomenal shampoos and conditioners and uh, body washes with great sense and and a clone as well and it, it's all uh, non-gmo and vegan and you can use their uh, uh weed whacker to get the ears and the nose hair get the shed bag the performance package 4.0 gives you all that stuff just go on their website manscape.com promo code arsenal vision you get 20 percent off from free shipping and that lawnmower 4.0 waterproof long battery life skin safe technology designed for loose skin so you can use it all over the areas you need to use it on whether that skin is loose or taut i don't need to know so that's it. Lawnmower 4.0, Performance Pack 4.0, your choice. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision, 20% off and free shipping. Do it now. And after you've done it, now that you are at your best, your team at your company should be at its best. And the way it gets to be at its best, well, you know how they do that. <clears throat> By going to Indeed. Indeed is the one job site where you can attract and hire all in one place. Yeah, that's right. You can do it all there. I mean, as someone who has been on these hiring websites and stuff lately, like you just... It does your head in how you have to go to all these different websites. You're going to spend more time doing that when you could just go to Indeed, right? And you can attract, interview, and hire all right there. Indeed partners with you in every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. 
You can do it all. It's the only job site you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates that fit your needs and your job description right away. Plus, you only pay for the applicants that meet your must-have requirements. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's the one, BlueWire. It's our podcast daddy. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 job credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Tim, is that enough of that? Indeed. That's the line, isn't it? That, that is the line. He said the line, but I haven't introduced him yet. Tim's on Twitter, so we're going to him. Hello there. <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. I mean, I, I don't want to say Clive's out of a job, but Clive's out of a job. He's got his own advertising empire going, you know? Well, yeah, indeed. And, you know, he seems to be buying um, cars of of dictators as well. So, you know, that that's very much not how we agreed to spend the Patreon money. But there we go. He's gone rogue. What can we do? To be fair, he could be spending that sweet, sweet fish and chip shop money. So we don't, we don't know. Um, so yeah, we're going to laugh at Chelsea. I promised him like that is, I feel like right in your wheelhouse and I don't want to deny you that. But since we just did, you know, uh, quite a bit on the serious side of that and some laughter, uh, we'll get to the laughing. I promise the laughing is coming, but I, uh, I tweeted after PSG crashed out last night, uh, deletes tweets about, uh, not valuing culture, essentially, <laughs> something like that. And yeah. like, I'm joking, but I'm not. I mean, look, I'm curious to get your take on the PSG situation, them crashing out. And and if maybe it gives you pause to reconsider, not that you were ever maybe as extreme in your views as I might have been, mm. on what it does take to build a winning culture. Because certainly on paper and in moments, PSG look like they should be able to beat that Real Madrid side and potentially beat any team in the world. Um for about but, three quarters of the tie, they were beating them pretty handily. They, they, they were, but you watch Messi walking and Neymar walking and Mbappe, maybe less so walking. You you see the, you know, some of the lack of seriousness about what they do. Marquinhos comes to mind. Like, and I can't help but think, you know, somewhere between it not mattering at all and it mattering a hell of a lot, culture does come into play, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's. I guess it's a little bit like captaincy. It's one of those things that I think you can only really get wrong, if you know what I mean. Like a, a good captaincy appointment, for example, is one that no one ever talks about ever again after they're appointed. It's just like, okay, mm. yeah, he's the captain. It doesn't Fine. necessarily win you stuff, but it, it can lose you stuff if you get it wrong. <laughs> it, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so, we, you know, Thomas Vermaelen being Arsenal captain you know, didn't, didn't, didn't push the, like nobody being captain pushes the needle for you, but Mm. it didn't do us a whole lot of harm either. Like no one cared essentially, Mm. which isn't, which isn't a criticism of him really. Um, and, and it's kind of the same with culture. I think it's one of those things that you can only really get wrong. Um, unless you are in a phase where it is clearly wrong and you try to write it. And that's, probably where Arsenal have been to be honest like I I don't really ever remember <clears throat> us discussing the culture of the team it's one of those things you don't discuss until it goes wrong it's like no one point. yeah no, no one talks about Man City and goes oh they've they've got a great culture that I mean they probably have um but n- no one talks about it it's just it's just one of those things that that's just not an issue until you start getting it wrong and and Arsenal probably had it wrong um, and a, making moves to correct it, PSG definitely have it wrong. And what they have there is a bunch of players who know they're bigger than the manager, <laughs> they're bigger than the club. And as you say, they've got three forwards who don't run 
when they don't have the ball and that's that's not sustainable like no matter how talented they are that's not sustainable you can't play like that if you want to win a tournament like the Champions League they can win league on playing like that um although at pains to point out they didn't even win league on last season like Lille won it and that's you know that's that's kind of laughable but really the, the thing with PSG that that kind of gladdens my heart a little bit is just how empty um, and soulless that whole quote-unquote project looks mm-hmm. in terms of if you're a PSG fan, you probably don't really even enjoy winning the league that much. And then you kind of, you know, you've got this like holy grail that's the Champions League. And so PSG end up in this situation every year when none of their games matter. And then in March, they'll have a game that hugely matters against a team that's actually, you know, a really top team with really top players. And there's too much staked on it. Yeah. And obviously, the the angle I really come at this from is is because I'm I'm interested in Neymar. I don't really cover Brazilian football anymore, <clears throat> like I used to, and and the national team and all of that. And and like I've got very mixed feelings about Neymar because on one hand I think that um, you know this thing's happened where people don't like him, therefore people have started to underrate his ability as a footballer. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like he's fucked up by going to PSG. He just has. Um, injuries have done him as well because he's put himself in a situation where he's put himself into that project where winning the Champions League is the only thing that matters and he wants to be the guy that does it um, for them. And, and the weird thing for him is, A, he gets injured every year in about February or March and doesn't end up playing in a lot of these games. Um, but the the... the the real mistake he's made is he wants he's thinking about things through an individual prism and it just sums up the PSG project. He doesn't really care about PSG winning the Champions League. He just wants to be the guy that wins it for them and he wants to win the Ballon d'Or and stuff like that. And and it's it's messed up his legacy. It's completely messed it up. And the big irony for him is he went to step out of Messi's shadow at Barca, which is a tremendously egotistical thing to do, by the way. Um, and he's ended up stepping into Mbappe's shadow anyway, um, although that probably won't be a problem next season. So th- there's there's just too much, like, there's just t- too much of an individual focus. And, and PSG, like, if they want to win the Champions League, they have to, to some extent, blow it up, I think. And they have to look at, you know, how a team like Bayern might win the Champions That's League. That's exactly right? who I was thinking of, by the way. Yep. Yeah, yeah. like Bayern, Bayern have star players. Of course they do. Like Lewandowski is a gold-plated striker, but like they don't have... I, I know they're called like FC Hollywood in Germany, but do you know what I mean? Like they, they have egos. You, you, can't, you can't be a massive team without egos. That's not possible. But they kind of harness them correctly. It's like you don't get the, the impression that like Thomas Muller is thinking about his personal legacy when he plays in a Champions League semi-final or quarter-final for Bayern. Like they, they operate and play as a unit. And, and PSG, they, they're going to have to do that. And to do that, they're probably going to have to move away from some of these megastars they've bought. But what's um, just to wrap this ramble up, what's <laughs> really funny is that like last summer, they went out and bought all these guys in, like Hakimi. Um, I mean, Hakimi was actually a really good signing, but like Ramos, Donnarumma, 
Wijnaldum, all these guys who'd won the Champions League, Messi, obviously, and they were supposed to be past this. You know, they mm-hmm. were supposed to be past this, like poisonous culture, hilarious collapses. And, you know, I watched both legs of this tie and honestly, 75 to 80% of it, they absolutely controlled. And then, boom, they just completely blew up as soon as Real Madrid scored that first goal. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's quite hilarious because unless you support PSG, I can't see how you remotely like that team or that club or what it's about. Yeah, and it, it does raise the point, right, that winning is about assembling talent. But there has to be a thoughtfulness about the way you do it to understand whether you've assembled talent that will work towards a common goal versus individual goals and and caring just about their money and their headlines. And I mean, I, I look at Bayern and I think the reason Bayern's interesting is the one thing Bayern seems to always have is the best of the German talent. Maybe not all of it, but mm. a good chunk of it. And that area, right? There's a sort of Germanic, saying Germanic area doesn't make any sense, but I, I don't know if you know what I even mean, but Austria, yeah, yeah. Poland, Germany, like, you know, that region, group of people that Netherlands. are- Yep. Yeah. And then well. you look at PSG and they're a much more global team. And I have a lot of respect for that. Obviously, I don't think you should be like nationalist, but PSG could be the French national team if they wanted to. They Think of yeah, how yeah. much sensational young French talent is out there and how they could all sort of look at what we're doing with Saka and Smith Rowe and White and Ramsdale and, you know, building a team of young players who, you know, are probably a lot, several of whom are going to be fighting for each other in the England team. And, and you, you're able to bond the group together and want to sort of fight for each other for something beyond the next paycheck. And I realize that's always going to matter, but it, it just doesn't seem to work. And, and it's interesting, mm. Tim, because I sort of think about who could be the next United manager. And the TIFO football podcast was making the point that it'll probably be Ten Hag and it'll probably fail. And the reason is that these super ego teams that view themselves as sort of above a project don't want a manager that like has a plan and you fit into the plan and you play your role mm. and it's very tactical. They just want vibes, right? They want the Carlo Ancelotti model. Just, you know, go out and enjoy yourself vibes, arm around the shoulder, man management, you know, the Phil Jackson, LA Lakers kind of model. And I, I think that's why I may have gotten some of this wrong when I look at Arsenal because, what, you know, Manchester City are probably the apotheosis of spending a, a megaton of money but managing to assemble a group that will adhere to a strategy, trust the manager, work for each yeah. other, and have complementary parts. I mean, Liverpool sort of too, but that's not really a super club kind of system spending-wise. So yeah. how do you think about how you get that balance right? Because clearly talent alone, as PSG have proven, and, and United to some extent, does not work. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Man City, that is that is another good reference point, although I recognise they haven't won the Champions League yet. I think they'll do it before Paris Saint-Germain do. And you look at what they've done, and what they've done is actually they, they don't like buy players from Barca or Real Madrid, um, generally speaking. They buy players for whom City is like a step up. And you look at the price range, like the it's the reason the Grealish signing kind of surprised me just in terms of price, because it it's amazing how many players they've got precisely between that sixty to fifty million bracket, like their whole team nearly. Like they've got I mean, look it up, look up the transfer fees, it's uncanny. They've got players in the double figures who fit exactly in that little corridor between fifty, sixty million. So they're all they're all kind of the same. Obviously that's a lot of money, um, still, and like buying lots and lots of players at that price obviously costs loads and loads of money, but they're not really building it on stars. Mm. It, I mean, they are stars, but do you know what I mean? Like they're not 
stars in terms of attitude. They probably weren't huge. Like Kevin De Bruyne came from Wolfsburg. He was he was he was known. Obviously, that's why Chelsea bought him. But like, but it wasn't, wasn't Neymar going from Barca to PSG. Yeah. It wasn't Messi going Barca to PSG. It wasn't you know they exactly. didn't buy Robert Ramos. Lewandowski from Bayern or you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like that 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 is quite different. And and yeah, like absolutely. And and your point there as well, like about. You know, they could have the French national team. Which city in Europe produces more talent than Paris? And um You'd be like, hard pressed to find one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hugely, hugely. They they could sweep all of that up and get like a real identity going. Um and and you know, like the the weird thing is they've actually got the jewel in the crown in Mbappe, who actually grew up supporting PSG, and he's leaving because <laughs> like, he wants to be the jewel of the crown, not the also ran behind Neymar and Messi, you know? Well, yeah, yeah. And also, I I do like Mbappe does strike me as quite a smart kid. And I think he just realizes that this PSG project is just like, I, it was brilliantly described by Lars Sivertson on the Guardian podcast. He described PSG as the Kendall Roy's birthday party of football. I saw that. I love that. <laughs> Kendall Roy's birthday party of football. That is great. <laughs> and and that is exactly it. And I think Mbappe recognized it. Like, what you know, why would Mbappe, who grew up supporting the club, want to fuck off so early and and, and it's because he recognized and he'll go to madrid and you know madrid are an enormous club like arguably well I, I don't even think arguably madrid are the biggest club in the world bar none and he's going to go there and that's like so he's not going to be you know he'll be a star obviously but real madrid have always had stars he's just going to be another star but he's still going to go there i bet he'll tear it up Oh, he, he um, might well. be the best player in the world, truthfully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. just hard to judge where he is right now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. In PSG, they're going to lose the best player in the world. And and Neymar doesn't want to be there either. He wanted to go back to Barcelona, but they can't afford him. So, like, there's something going on there that players are going there and they don't want to stay. And that, that says a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. And it, it just brings it back to the Arsenal side of things, which is that, like, there are clubs that maybe are beyond the project mentality. Mm. And there are certainly players that do not have the appetite for that. And I think I do have to give credit to Arteta and Edu and to Arsenal for not just building a young, likable team, but a team that seems to have embraced the project. And you say, well, how would you know that? Well, insofar as they have taken on the roles and responsibilities that are being given on the pitch in a way that shows, you know, I mean, the, the work rate, the organization, it's all improved so much. Um, you know, if they weren't in for the project, I think you would have heard more leaking, more complaining, more things going on when, you know, like the Aubameyang situation was going on or when yep. Arsenal starts the season with three terrible losses or where we were at Boxing Day last season. And you've never, you never really seen that happen. And I, I think what, whatever culture is, and it's always hard to identify, I think culture at a minimum is players who will do what's asked of them to achieve a common goal. And and yeah. I I don't know how you figure out how you get to that, but I feel like we've gotten to that in a way that clearly is not the case at a place like PSG. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think um I think not just like, I don't know, weeding out certain characters, like we can only speculate on that. I think what's been important this year is is like just making that squad a lot smaller. Because regardless of whether they're good, bad, indifferent people, when you've got lots of people that aren't playing, you've got lots of unhappy people. 
and when you've got no Europe and you've got no games to give them, because um, e- even like giving them Europa League games, Europa League group games that might keep them happy till Christmas, but when you get to the business end, uh, you know the knockout rounds of of the Europa League, you're not starting Callum Chambers anymore. Um, hey, wonder goal today? Well, yeah, yeah. What a screamer! <laughs> um, or you're not. You might want to start Callum Chambers. He's Cafu lately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you and you, you know, you're not starting Kalasanac anymore. Mm. Um, so I think for this season, particularly with the the well, for us, fairly unique kind of not being in Europe. Bit, it was important to slim that squad down, and even some of the guys we offloaded in January, like Pablo Mari, who I, you know, didn't get the vibes that he was enormously unhappy or anything like that, but he wasn't going to play. And I think so, he called Arteta the best coach in the world, yeah, so he's yeah. probably happy enough, yeah. yeah, exactly. But you know, he wasn't going to play and he hadn't been playing, so you know, off he goes. And and obviously, um. You know, I, Arsenal will be in Europe of some kind next season. I'm certain, mm. uh, and and obviously we'll have to address that again, and that will be a challenge for Arteta next year because he'll need a bigger squad again and and managing that. But that's easier to do when you've got games. So I think even you know, regardless of like quote unquote the characters, just slimming that squad down. And I think um, I remember saying on the podcast back in about September. Like I was actually quite impressed that he clearly drew a line when he signed the players he wanted. They all went straight into the team. And then guys like, uh, even guys he likes, like Elneny, for example, were like, nope, you're, you know, I, he, he likes Elneny, clearly, but like he's barely had a, a look in. And, and it's just because, yeah, sorry, your contract's running out. So, you know, I know who my guys are and who my guys aren't. And I think he very clearly drew that line in the sand after the transfer window. And, and I do think that's paid dividends as well. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because you want my honest opinion about a manager I don't have a lot of time for? I think Mauricio Pochettino, tactically speaking, is a better manager at this point in his career than Carlo Ancelotti. I just mm. think he is. If you said to me, grown, that I had to take one of them at Arsenal, I'd be taking Pochettino, even though I think he's a bottling Spurs disaster. But setting that aside. My point, though, is... You put him in a place like PSG where they're not going to do the things he wants them to do. And you put Carlo Ancelotti at Real Madrid where it's all vibes and arm around the shoulder and manage the egos and set them out in a system roughly suited to get the most out of their talent. And look at the difference, right? Mm. Those Real Madrid players will go fight for each other. And the PSG guys are not going to do what Pochettino wants them to do. They're going to press and win the ball back aggressively, especially from the front. So like, yeah, I, I mean, different places need different things. And if you have players that don't want to adopt a tactical plan that can win them things, then you're screwed. And, you know, that's that's PSG in a nutshell, and we're very lucky not to be in that situation. Yeah, and indeed, and, and you know, let's not forget, Ancelotti managed PSG, and they sacked him. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. that's actually, you know what, and, yeah. and he didn't achieve anything there. And so... But- but it's the point. They, they don't want to fight for each other, you know? They don't no, care. no. And I, I never understood why they appointed Pochettino, not because I think he's a bad coach. He's clearly not. But uh, from the, the second that was done, I was thinking, like, why? Like, Pochettino's not the sort of coach. He's all that, work rate and pressing and win the ball. Yeah, he's like Tuchel. I mean, what's, it doesn't yeah, work. <laughs> Pochettino is the type of manager, I think, that, yeah, that makes you better than the sum of your parts but actually in a weird way PSG need to become slightly less than the sum of their parts if that makes sense so they just need to be their parts (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and all all the talk of like Zidane um and stuff because obviously Zidane has 
manage Madrid and and therefore you know he can do the can he do like the vibesy thing but you know he's 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 a Marseille man um you know and and I guess money talks and all of that but I I think I think I'm not sure Zidane would take it um actually, I think he'd be a good United manager it pains me to yeah. say yeah yeah you know? agreed um, well, all right, en- enough of that. Point is, culture clearly matters, how much we don't know. You're always sort of evaluating it ad hoc, which is what makes it hard for me. But yeah, like you look at PSG and it's just so soulless and unserious. And it's a, it's disappointing in a way because there are players there that I want to enjoy watching play football. And mm. they've gone to a place where it is impossible to enjoy watching them play football. So um, before we get on to the Chelsea thing and have a good laugh at the end, let's just look ahead to Leicester. I believe no Jamie Vardy for mm-hmm. the weekend, which I think is a good thing. Although, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know how exceptional Jamie Vardy is at this point. Um, Leicester are a weird one because they they seem totally incapable of defending, but they still carry a, a good threat going forward, even without mm-hmm. Vardy. You know, they have Madison, they have Pat Sendaka, they have um, Harvey Barnes, right? Yep. Um, so they can, they can hurt you going the other way. And we saw Watford, you know, pull us apart on the counter a few times and, and, and get some opportunities Wolves did it a little bit. I'm curious if you see this being a situation where Arteta puts his foot on the gas and really tries to exploit what has been a disaster Leicester defense, or if the warning signs we saw against Watford will mean he errs on the side of caution a little more. Um, I think it will be somewhere between. I, I do think he'll, he'll, it will be more the former than the latter. Um, I, I do think you know Arsenal have good momentum at the moment, and I, and I think he'll think, no, let's keep... You know, let, let's keep going with this. And, you know, Leicester, I mean, to be fair, they've been playing without Vardy for quite a lot for nearly two years now. Yeah. Um, this was in the post, like even pre-pandemic, he'd, he'd had like three or four muscle injuries in a row. And then like the lockdown happened, which actually helped him quite a bit because it just gave him a couple of months off. But I mean, they, they know what's coming, and, and you know, like, of course, like at, at his age, with everything he's done, that's that's and the type of player he is, that's absolutely to be expected. But I, I think they're quite used to playing without Vardy, um, and we've seen like Iheanacho become um, much more prominent. Albeit, I think Iheanacho is actually better with Vardy because Iheanacho is almost more like a Salah uh, type player coming in from the mm. right. Um, I'm not sure he's he's quite there in terms of leading the line, but but you're right. Like Leicester, Leicester are set up to counter, um, and players like Harvey. I think Harvey Barnes is a brilliant kind of player to have on the break. He's um, he's he's kind of like a, a slightly budget son, um, mm. actually. I think Harvey Barnes, um, which you know. As much as it pains me to say it, that's that's a compliment. Yeah, it's a good player. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that they and and look, we've seen it before. We've we've seen you know we saw it last season when the most predict possibly the most predictable defeat, at least the manner of it for the whole season. Um, and so I, you know, there's definitely a great example there for Arteta just to get the video of the game last season and just say. Yeah, don't do this again. <laughs> um, so I, I do, th- I do think it will be, you know, more about it'll be. I think it will just be more about doing the things that that we've been doing well, and let's keep doing them. And and I do think that, um, or at least I hope, but I do kind of think that some of those issues that came up against Watford d- did strike me. I, 
I don't know why, but it it didn't strike me as like an endemic issue. Do you know what I mean? It, it yeah. felt like a game issue to me, and maybe a slight game management issue. And that'll be another um, that'll be another interesting way to see whether we've grown. Like assuming that we're not chasing the game at any point. Um, you know, when we went away to Leicester in the reverse fixture, we were just brilliant for the first half an hour, two 0 up. But then it was one of those where we kind of stopped playing. And we kind of got away with it because Aaron Ramsdale made some great saves, but that that was definitely within that sphere of Arsenal going a goal, or in this case, two goals up and then just stopping. Mm. Um, and so if we go a goal up against Leicester on Sunday, it would be very interesting to see that evolution. And, and look, we look a different team now. Leicester, I mean, Leicester weren't great at that point either, but I think Leicester really have kind of collapsed back into that mid-table um, kind of pack um, and they're probably looking nervously over their shoulders at Newcastle in the medium term um, mm. and we probably are in the long term um, but yeah so I, I I don't see any reason that Arsenal wouldn't just keep doing the things they've been doing over the last 10 games or so yeah I mean they they are 17th in expected goals allowed they have just less than 50% possession in most games they press in the middle and defensive third, but not really in the attacking third. Like, I do think this is going to be a game where we are pushing them back and and they are spending maybe more time than they are comfortable with defending, but by the same token, have some counterattack opportunities. And so it will be interesting to see if they, you know, if they find an, a way to exploit something that maybe Watford found out or if that was a one-off, like you say. I mean, do you quickly have any thoughts on... The, the left side of the attack. I mean, I think we'll see Saka, Odegaard, Lacazette, mm. Party. Um, you know, the, the back four, I assume, remains unchanged because I don't think Tomiyasu's back. So do you think we see Tierney, Shaka, and Martinelli? Do you think maybe Smith-Rowe comes in for Martinelli? I mean, I, I had said in the post-match pod that I think the wonder goal might have just been enough to convince Arteta to stick with him, but yeah. that, that's certainly one that people would be curious about. Yeah, I I think we'll stick with Martinelli. Smithrow wasn't in the squad, was he? Um, for Watford, so. COVID, and we don't know. So initially, he was he was out the game before with, with illness. They said illness, non-COVID, which yeah. may mean that he if if that was COVID and it was just negative test, he'd be eligible for this game. It is yeah. possible that if he just got the COVID before Watford, he's still not ready yeah. or maybe just not feeling up to it so really we, you know we, we have no idea we'd be speculating but let's assume for a second he's available which by the time this comes out you may know is not the case but what, what do you think what's your instinct yeah i i think we'd use that not as an excuse but as a reason for him to be on the bench for this game mm-hmm. and for martinelli to continue and then i think maybe against Liverpool because you know we've got liverpool in, in um in midweek um so i, I think then we'd probably see smith Rowe start that game um, perhaps like essentially we've got three games in six days um, coming up. So we'll see everyone, <laughs> I think. Um, but I think probably on the basis that Smith Rowe wasn't even in the squad against Watford, that he'll be on the bench and Martinelli will start. And then, you know, like what a sub to have um, up your sleeve and, and one we've used very successfully over the last couple of months as well. Yeah. Um, so, let's not, you know, let's not waste any more time. Let's just unleash you. <laughs> I mean, at, at this point in time, I said at the start of this podcast that there are things Twitter's bad at, but Twitter is great for these kind of moments. The replies, the quotes, the memes. I can't imagine living through a big moment 
in the pre-meme world. And I yeah. lived through it, so I, I must have known. But like in the post-meme world is a special place when things like this happen. How um, how much are you indulging in, absorbing, sharing, creating uh, the, the memes that will last a lifetime in the wake of Chelsea going through what hopefully will be the end of them? Yeah, 100% really enjoying it. And yeah, it's one of those days where I've been scrolling quite a lot. Quite a lot. Um, What's the opposite you know, of doom scrolling? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like, um, it, it's one of those things as well. And look, I, I understand from maybe more impartial observers, some of like the more earnest tweets about how like this should lead to changes in like football fan in football ownership and fans should have a stake. And I absolutely believe that definitely. And definitely, you know, um, all of the kind of, well, ev- every club is potentially a disinterested billionaire or turning geopolitical events away from being in a difficult situation. And that is, but the, like, for me, that isn't the day. This isn't the day for that. For me, this is the day for mirth, quite mm. frankly. And look, we don't know how Chelsea come out of the other side of this. I don't think there's any way they come out in exactly the same shape, put it that way. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to League Two or anything like that, although that's very much what I hope for. And and look, I, I do again, I kind of get that, oh, you shouldn't laugh about stuff like this. But like, honestly, if like but even if like Spurs were, I don't know, like on the edge of bankruptcy or something, I'd think, yeah, I don't want that to happen. Like I would feel. You can't smile without them. A, a bit of, yeah, yeah. A, a, a bit of like solidarity around that. Or if it was yeah. Man United or someone like that, or, or even like Man City, I, you know, I wouldn't want them to go, you know, for that to happen to them really. I want that to happen to Chelsea. <laughs> and I have done for quite some time because quite frankly I've been to Stamford Bridge many times and you know this this is a fan base that <sighs> careful how I say this because there are good Chelsea fans and I know some good Chelsea fans but there are a lot of really bad ones. Um, Shall I just reference the video making the rounds? Yeah. (laughs) Of them on the train saying we're racist and we like it or whatever. That's the way we like it. Yeah. Loads of that, loads of that. And I've seen dozens of isolated incidents like that um, going to Stamford Bridge over the years. And anyone that's been there will know, will know exactly what I'm talking about. And there is a reason, for example, that when me and my mates go there, every year we, we look around and we go, right, count the non-white faces and you don't get past your fingers and toes put it that way and and that's in london right and if that's Mm. happening in london and i don't care if it's in fulham um which is you know um probably one of the like the whiter parts of london i guess that that's not where chelsea fans come from right um that that's not where they go to fulham fans come from fulham chelsea fans come from like more surrounding areas and into Surrey and places like that. But there is a reason, right? And it's because it's not, let's put it lightly, it's not a very inclusive environment. And frankly, they have enjoyed the spoils of this for a long, long time. Everyone knows where this money came from everyone none this isn't and that goes for the like the uk government too no one just discovered this today where that money came from and you know you you kind of you live by the oligarch sword you die by the oligarch sword and i know that fans don't choose owners and things like that but the very vast majority of Chelsea fans I've come across, I've seen online, I've seen in person, have luxuriated in this 
Uh, not not in a very like graceful way shall we say you're singing his name today at carroll road tim i mean like you know they if they had any remorse at all they could understand that that's a delicate people are dying it's not a game you know yeah exactly exactly there's been a lot of luxuriating going on a lot of gloating a lot of aggressive um you know kind of crimson faced gloating Mm -hmm. and so fuck them quite frankly and i don't know how they come out of this and everything like that i don't you know they might just i i know for example i read something very good by matt slater in the athletic who was talking about why it's most likely going to be an american owner for them next because of like the state of the dollar at the moment and things like that and chelsea now unfortunately are well they were looking at like a fairly secure like quote-unquote big club but you know, with all of this that's going on, like the very, like the obviously at time of speaking, there's so much uncertainty, but like the number one thing to unravel uh, for, for Chelsea and the government in the next few days is, can this club be sold at all? We already know that the proceeds can't go to Roman Abramovich, but is there any way this club gets sold at all? If so, how? Where does the money go? And things like that. Because if they can't, they're they're fucked if they can't sell that club because it well, they're going to administration because yeah. if they can't take money from Roman and they can't collect the things like ticket sales and fees, yeah, I mean they yeah they're done. They use up their cash reserves. They won't be able to pay their wages. They'll be they'll be out of business. Yeah, definitely. And like they've got well their their shirt sponsors pulled out. So that's another like so and and I'm sure that you know as sure as night follows day. Once one brand does that, the rest of them follow. They've already asked from what I've seen, Hyundai and yeah. um, I can't remember the other one. But yeah, there, there are three that have already asked. Yeah, and, and again, those brands knew who Roman Abramovich was. They knew what they were buying into and it's it's all like PR and stuff like that. But yeah, like they're, they are in a world of trouble if they can't sell the club. And at the moment, they can't sell the club. It is that simple. And so... I. I, I do think that some kind of deal will be worked out with the government, but then like with the geopolitical situation like Putin, Putin might be quite liking this because he might think, oh, okay, let's see if the, the UK government have got the stones to let a club like Chelsea go out of business. Because if like if if Putin um, you know gets Abramovich's phone number somehow, I know they don't they don't know each other and have never spoken. No, um, no. And, and says you know he can follow him on Twitter and ask if he can DM him. Yeah, yeah, and you know says something like um, d- maybe don't sell that club and let's see if the UK government have got the stones to let it go to the wall. Um, you know, but I mean we're we're about to find out certainly how much Abramovich you know quote unquote loves that club. Um, well, because- and Tim, even if the UK government doesn't want to let them go to the wall, and and even if I have the sympathy for that, and and can recognize that clubs with a long, I was going to say a long history, they don't have one, but uh, clubs that have, you know, the kind of following that means a lot to a lot of people, like letting them go out of business is a bad thing. Mm. If all they do is allow them to spend enough to stay in business, yeah. it still ends the Chelsea project as we know it. You know, yeah, one hundred percent. There, I think I read that their wage bill is like thirty million pounds a month, mm. or something like that. I mean, that that is not sustainable. 
um, at all, unless I mean they can't even get bought by another oligarch now because all just the Swiss assets Ramble did the comprehensive um, thread on the ramifications economically. So I'm, I would direct anybody to that. But yeah, it's not it's not sustainable if they don't get a sale and if the debt's not forgiven. So I, I mean Tim, the, <laughs> this is pretty hilarious. Like like there's just mm-hmm. no way around that. And I players are going to want to be jumping ship. No yeah. player is going to come to them in the summer. In terms of time horizons, like. I don't see the horizon. Be, you know, when it was first announced he was looking to sell, I was like, oh, you know what? He might it might get bought by a businessman, and in four or five seasons, they might just be a mid-table kind of team. For me now, the time horizon for when we see a different Chelsea is like next season, that mm. soon, you know, because they will lose players who won't stay there. They will not be able to buy players of the caliber they've been used to to replace them. I mean, that's an overnight immediate change. I mean, Tuchel might say, I don't want to be answering these questions every day, you know, if, unless they're sold already, but even still like, what's the sale price going to be? They can't build a new stadium. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're literally a few months away from Chelsea as we have known them for a decade or so being done. And like, look at the contract situations of most of their defense mm-hmm. and like, like, all right, as Piliqueta has been there for ages now, uh, I'm sure they wanted to get him on a one year deal or something. Can't happen. Rudiger. I mean, it looked like he was going anyway definitely gone now and so that and christensen as well he's going on a free mm-hmm. i think marcos alonso as well possibly if they can not, keep him he, he suits that club <laughs> down to the ground yeah like but they're losing all these players for free and so like and again maybe that doesn't matter in a world where they're not allowed to make any money but even if that element is like lifted or like the government comes to an arrangement on that that's like that's four fairly sizable players in the squad. Thiago Silva's 37. I mean, he signed a new deal, but like that can't go on forever. And so like they're looking at a situation where they're losing a lot of players for free regardless. And then, and then, you know, they're not allowed to replace them. And what would be quite interesting though, is they do have like, I don't know, 143 players out on loan, um whether they i mean they'll have to recall some of those i'm sure next season so i'm sure you'll see who's the lad who's at southampton boyer borja borja yeah 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 i mean the fact is though they can't afford to keep paying all these loanies because so that there's gonna have to be movement there they may have to you know i was gonna say sell them all to raise funds but who knows what they'll be allowed to do with the transfer funds yeah, you know, I, yeah, so exactly. I, I don't. It's all obviously murky because we have so few details in it. It's unclear how far, as you said, the government will be willing to push this to create pain. And obviously, if there is a sale and if they allow a sale to happen, then it will go back to just being a question of how much money does the new owner want to put in and and, and help yeah. them stay afloat. But you know, even if they like say okay like like, i think they will say because if they don't say that the club will go to the wall and it will go to the wall over the summer basically so i i don't think the government will let that happen but then it comes down to abramovich then it comes down to well you know like you're not getting anything for this and you're going to have to write off a 1.5 billion loan like i mean he might do that i don't know but I don't know. It doesn't seem. I, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't be very comfortable with that idea. Like, I think there's a world where he just goes, "No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not losing it for nothing, and I'm certainly not losing it for minus one point five billion. Mm. Um, maybe he doesn't have another choice. Maybe you know, he knows his assets are frozen indefinitely, and and 
you know, it's a stalemate kind of thing. But yeah, like I say, if the if Putin, who he's never met or spoken to, gets hold of his phone number and and asks him, no, nope, I, I want this to be like a bit of a showdown with the government, um, and I'd quite like a few, you know, a couple of million of ang- angry Chelsea fans hating the government for this, then, you know, it, that, that's, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it could. Can we at least admit that whatever happens, we at least deserve in about three or four weeks time, the images of Chelsea players stepping off a Ryanair flight to go to the Bernabeu um, wearing blue shirts they bought at Sports Direct that day with no sponsor on it. I mean, we, we deserve that at, at a minimum. 100% and so did Chelsea. Yeah, well said. And look, I just want to add one thing to something that you said about you know the, the fan base and some of the issues they have with, let's say, attitudes towards race and inclusivity. Like, there are problem people at every club, but that club definitely has a pronounced problem that has been well-documented. Now, the interesting thing I can say as an American, um, Tim, is that like, you know, I I think certain regions of cities and countries can have bigger or smaller problems with issues like that. And so Chelsea fans closer to the club may, for one reason or another, have developed those attitudes, whereas I happen to know Chelsea fans, you know, here in the United States, for example, who do not reflect that kind of sentiment behavior. And again, that's not to say that America doesn't have huge problems with race. No, obviously, no, but I know what you, mean. you get my point, right? That like, cause I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that there are Chelsea people here that I know. And apart from the fact that they support Chelsea, they are actually lovely yeah. people. And even people who are posting on Twitter, like it makes me embarrassed that these fans are singing Roman's name, you know, like people that are right thinking, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and that's, um, that, that's an angle that's always kind of interested me as well. Like, because obviously, um, down the years, I've tweeted a lot of stuff that's not very complimentary about Chelsea, and I get people <laughs> in my mentions, and and you know, yeah, obviously, lo- and and there is definitely like a big difference between, I would say, like the overseas Chelsea fan base, and uh, and but and sometimes I've had that argument with people over the years as well, you know, like arguing with a Chelsea fan in Mumbai, um, for example, and just being like, look, if you went to Stamford Bridge, I'm not sure you'd like it, mate. Um, put it that way. And I, I don't want to be glib about that because that's like, that's a much bigger issue than like petty club tribalism or whether I happen to like Chelsea or not. So I, I of don't course, of course. really like, you know, using that as like, like weaponizing that. But do you know what I mean? Like I, I've, I've always kind of felt like I can At understand. That ground, it's a problem, period. I think Clive yeah. has spoken about it from his days of going, yes. you know, to the away games as well. And like, I, yes, there is no denying they have a very specific problem with it. And I'm not disputing that other than to say that like one of the power, beautiful things of the globalization of the game is that fan bases that were very, you know, maybe um, xenophobic or racist, mm-hmm. or and that's almost putting it too harsh, but let's just say homogeneous have yeah, yeah. been, be been diversified, yeah, like, whether yeah. with their will or against their will, you know? Yeah. And you can see why, like, uh, you know, if you're getting into the premier league or something, you can see why, uh, like, someone might fall in love with the team that has like Didier Drogba, um, you know, bane of our lives as he, mm. as he was, um, or even like Eden Hazard or something like that. Like, of course I get that. Of course I get that. And that's part of, um, I think I tweeted this the other day. It's n- it's not just that um, Chelsea have kind of sports washed Abramovich's uh, reputation. I think it's worked the other way um, as well. And, and, and that and that's kind of what I was getting at 
with that that actually what it's done is it's it has attracted like a big global fan base which is totally understandable and yeah like like you said i think you know yeah well less homogenized it's it's diversified that fan base on on a global basis which yeah which is a good thing at a minimum we can definitely laugh tim at the fact that basically within 24 hours of each other both chelsea and their uh historic and awful and toxic ex um ex-captain john terry are, are facing economic annihilation as his nft lost 90% of its value as Chelsea, the club lost 90% of their value yeah, <laughs> within about 24 yeah. hours of each other. <laughs> it, yeah. It's funny. Like, um, pyramid schemes tend to do that, Elliot. Um, yeah, touche, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, like once, once, uh, the guys at the top have put their money in, um, the plug tends to come out and that tends to be what happens. And, and, you know, who'd have thought if John Terry, the guy who was, wasn't he found guilty of like, selling private tours of Chelsea's training ground or something <laughs> off the books or something like that. So yeah, yeah, that's, you know, entirely unsurprising. And that's why um, NFTs are pushed so aggressively um, because, because they need people to put money in so that they can take it. Well, like, they need a greater fool at Chelsea right now. Pretty badly is what they yes, need. So yeah, we'll see if yeah. they find one. I think that is more than enough of this. Uh, what feels a little like a Chelsea Vision podcast, but only in the Schadenfreude sense. So I hope everybody understands that. Look, we'll have, um, I think, a rewatch, actually, the Watford game tomorrow, today, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, and then the instant reaction for patrons on Friday. We've got some big announcements coming up on some big events and big things that are happening that I'm really, really excited about uh, all for the greater good. And we thank you for sharing our thoughts on topics that maybe we're not experts on, but I think as Arsenal fans, we're all experts at laughing at Chelsea when given the opportunity. So Tim's on Twitter. So what Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. I think your extra pleasure in this instance. Uh, my name is Alex Smith, Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Of course, Paul and Clive will be on again in the very, very near future. But until then, we love you and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Lester New. No.